You're listening to the Diary Discoveries podcast brought to you by Sally'sDiaries.com. Now here's your hosts, Sally Ivey and Jeff Richards. Welcome back to another episode of the Diary Discoveries podcast. We're excited about this one because it involved a little bit extra than some of the others we've done. It really did, and uh, it was quite the uh, journey that we've been on, but I'm very anxious to share it all. We had a lot of fun with this, and as we told you in our last episode, we said we were going to be taking a road trip, and we did. We went to Boise, Idaho, and we used that as our base, and then we traveled to a ghost town. We did. And you know, this, uh, I, I learned so much from not only this diary, but the trip itself and the adventures we were on. And I remember a long time ago, I'd say it was almost two years ago, we were trying to decide just what to call this this whole podcast. We came up with, oh, so many different names, of course, all having to do with diaries. And um, you were actually the one that came up with the word discoveries. Little did I know how important that word would be. You know, when we first talked about it, I thought discoveries that you find out in the diaries. But it's so much more than that to me now. Well, we did discover some things. We did. It was uh, our first remote, actually, trip. (laughs) We do have a little recording that we took when we were at the ghost town site. Um, And we'll get to that a little later. But this all started from a diary by the man named Henry Stewart. Yes, Henry James Stewart. And it's a simple looking diary. It's a ledger book. And on the front of it, it says day book. So it's not your typical uh, pocket diary or, you know, folding diary that I usually get. And at first, I actually thought it was a ledger. It looks like a ledger. It's uh, six inches wide. And it's about a foot tall. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's shaped like a ledger and says daybook across it. it. But in the front, what did it say? Wow, that was the the telling part of this diary because we just discussed had that entry in the front not have been there, we might not have gone on the journey that we have been on. Yeah, and it's actually a stamp. It's a stamp, his mm-hmm. own stamp that he wrote. And as you turn to the first page, you'll see a stamp that says H. J. Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, Pole Creek Wigwam, D. Lamar, and that's spelled D-E-L-A-M-A-R, and that's a capital L, D. Lamar, Idaho. We're not quite sure if it's Del Lamar, We've heard it said so many different ways. But we're going to pronounce it D. Lamar because in this this diary also came with letters and they always separate the D-E and then capital L-A-M-A-R. So D. Lamar, Idaho. And when I saw Idaho, you know, when when I have diaries, uh, when you have East Coast diaries, usually you they're quite a bit older. When you have West Coast diaries from Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, the like, I've realized that, you know, the West was not that old. There was the old West, you know, as far as it wasn't as old as the East Coast. And so when I get diaries from the West Coast, it's it's very exciting because it makes me think 
they might not exist anymore, those towns. And that's what I was starting to think with De Lamar in my mind. I thought, yeah, this possibly could be a ghost town. Well, and it was uh, quite the town at the time. And what we found was very different. <laughs> so. Oh, goodness. It's, if you look it up on the web, there is a wonderful ghost town site that um, shares a bunch of the different ghost towns of the West and Delamar's on there. And there's quite a few stories on it from people that used to live there. Uh, but it shows then and now pictures. And we're going to be posting some pictures also on my website. But we thought we'd tell you a little bit about the town itself. Well, Delamar is located in Owyhee County. And that name sounds Native American. And we thought that it was. It actually is not. It comes from Hawaii. And the story there is that there were Europeans that encountered the Hawaiian Islander people in the 1700s, and they were impressed with their strong physiques and skills in the water, and the name that they called them were Owyhee because that was kind of a, their version of the word they were using themselves to describe themselves as Hawaii. So it is Owyhee County, and I'm reading from a book. It's called Images of America, Owyhee County. And you've probably seen these at some of the bookstores. Uh, this one was written by Robert L. Dean. And in the introduction, he writes that Owyhee County has a rich history that began with Native American culture stretching back more than 10,000 years, interrupted by a massive influx of whites drawn by the discovery of silver and gold loads, exceeded only by the Comstock discovery in Nevada. Silver City was one of many Gold Rush-era mining towns, but it remains today as possibly the largest intact ghost town in the West. Mining followed a boom and bust cycle into the 1920s. A few mines remain active to this day, but mining was replaced by ranching, agriculture, and the building of major water projects in the early 20th century. So that's a little bit about the county, and now a little bit more about the town de Lamar. Yes, and uh, on a side note, uh, Silver City is only six miles from de Lamar, so we'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, later. It's in the mountains. There's Owyhee Mountains. The town was started in 1886, de Lamar, by Captain Joseph Raphael de Lamar. He bought several, uh, or staked several mining claims up in that area. And we found out that this was quite a booming town. You would not know it if you visited it now. But back then, there were 13 saloons. Uh, there was a red light district school. And there was also, um, they said at its peak about eight million dollars in silver and gold mostly gold mostly gold and million a year right correct that's taken what, out of the yeah mines. that's what the book says they also had their own newspaper and it was called the de lamar nugget and we also found a yeah. great article in that same book within this book and i love these books because of the photographs and without these photographs what we saw when we were there it would have been it's it was still so hard to even imagine that this town was there. This big of a town, yeah. yes. In this book, there was an article from the Delamar Nugget describing the community. Delamar now has some of the best mines in the state, a fine brick schoolhouse, a good waterwork system, and fire protection. 
a large general merchandise store, two drug stores, fruit and newsstands, two livery stables, a meat market, a barber shop, five saloons, telephone connection to Silver City, Nampa, and Boise in all immediate points, a dentist, two restaurants, a fine large hotel, two doctors, fine residences, a boot and shoe shop, two blacksmith shops, a deer park, a large mill working night and day on rich ore, about 300 industrious and enterprising inhabitants, all the symptoms of making a booming mining camp. And that was in 1891. Yeah. So he had founded the town in 1886. So five years later, that was written. And it's so good to know and do research, especially for me. When I have a diary and then I see what town they're from, and especially a ghost town, to see what it was like, because you're definitely not going to get the same um, feel, in a sense, or well, yeah, reading expectations. It, reading it and walking the streets or walking where the streets were, yeah. two different things, you know? Yeah. And so we're going to tell you a little bit about our adventures getting there and what it, it actually was um, pretty monumental in my life and life-changing, and I want to share that with you. So here's a little audio clip that we recorded when we first arrived at the site of Delamar. Well, we are here in Delamar. 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 We're not sure how we pronounce it. And it's June 6th, Sunday afternoon, fantastic weather. And um, how many miles of gravel did we have to travel? At least 20, I At think. At least 20 miles of gravel road. And on the gravel roads were these bugs called the Mormon cricket. And that's what they're called. And they are migrating. So they're on the ground. And there are thousands mm. of them on the roadway. It was uh, an impressive sight to yeah. come across them. Well, all of a sudden we turned the corner. We had heard that they had hatched. And we were just looking out at this incredibly beautiful valley in Idaho. And... Uh, we turned the corner and there was a th oh, thousands of them. I don't know how at many, least. at least. Um, look them up online, the Mormon Cricket, and there's an interesting story about them. So that was part of our adventures coming here. Yeah, and we also crossed the stream probably four times mm -hmm. in total. So we got to drive in some water a little bit. It wasn't too deep, thankfully. We're not in a uh, high four-wheel drive vehicle, but uh, we do have four-wheel drive and some clearance. Anyways, it was a good trip here, and we've discovered that there's uh, some wreckage of the town still available to see. We're looking, we're across the river right now from what we think is was the mine, the main building. Lots of heavy timbers, and it's fenced off. Uh, it's restricted to go up there, and I believe there's uh, somebody here kind of watching the site. Uh, we heard that they were trying to get some mining going again uh, in an area possibly so we're here the structure is huge um, and it's collapsed since collapsed and uh, we'll try to post some pictures but it was so cool to turn the corner and all of a sudden be in the town uh, the same town that back in the early 1900s Henry James Stewart lived uh, we brought the diary. We're going to take some pictures. Trying to find out where Pole Creek is, because at the beginning of his diary, as we've probably mentioned, um, he puts 
uh, Henry James Stewart, Pole Creek Wigwam, DeLamar, Idaho. And it's just very surreal for me to actually read about DeLamar back then from his diary entries and then now standing on the site of the town, which is definitely a ghost town. Oh, for sure. It is beautifully green here right now this time of year. And you can hear the river. That's all you can hear, birds, river. And then as you walk, we walked up on the top of the mountain, there's still hundreds and hundreds of Mormon crickets that you walk around, which is totally fine. They are around our feet as we speak. (laughs) They are. They are. And um, now we're going to kind of walk. The road that we drove in on is called Silver City Road. And De Lamar was, uh, I believe, four miles before you get to Silver City. Coming from the Oregon side. Coming from the Oregon side, correct. And so we're going to be walking around town right now and taking some photos. But again, if you ever get a chance and you love ghost towning, this is a great place to, to visit. Yeah, the drive, the, the country's pretty. and We even came across a whole huge flock of sheep. And we found the, uh, well, we saw the shepherd down there uh, watching over them. Uh, it was funny because at one point all the sheep were busting, just running crazy. And then they stopped and then they came back the other way. And mm-hmm. we thought maybe was it a snake or looking for a dog? We couldn't see a dog. So something stopped them and they all started turning and running the other direction. And then we saw the guy on the horse. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, ghost towns are, they're becoming few and further between because they're falling down. There's not much of them. So, gosh, if you can get a chance, it's even something I want to take my grandchildren on just to see what history was like. You know, show that we brought a lot of pictures with us of the town before and trying to locate exactly where we are and where those pictures were taken. So we're going to try and take our own photos and do some befores and afters. Well, you heard all about the Mormon crickets. So if we had not been warned about that the day before, not warned, but we were just told that you're going to encounter this because there was a major hatching. And in fact, when we came back and looked at the diary, we actually found on the front page that he had recorded, Mr. Henry Stewart, that the 1317 year locusts are out. And I think he might have confused those with the cicadas that hatch in those time periods because these are not cicadas, they are Mormon crickets. Yes, they and they look like locusts, like a cross between a beetle and a grasshopper or something. Yeah, they're... A, they can get up to about two inches long, and they had various colors. Like some of them would look gold, and some of them would look. They almost look like like these alien type prehistoric creatures. They, they were odd looking at times, and then other times they looked more brown, bug like, and depending on how the light reflected off of them. So tell them first, though. Okay, to get to D. Lamar, right? We we kind of heard about the Mormon crickets. They were out of my mind. Yeah. They were kind of, they literally were out out of my mind. And it's about two hours from Boise. Mm -hmm. Turn on a gravel road. And would you say 20 miles of? It was, yes. It was at least 20 miles getting from the highway. And we came from the Oregon side. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, south of Boise. Right. South and west. And I remember my head was down. I think I was looking at the diary or something like that, and I heard you exclaim as we turned this corner, oh my gosh, there they are. There they are. (laughs) And the road looked like it was moving. It was covered with them. 
And we rolled up the windows really fast. Yeah. We were told that maybe they'd come in the car, but uh, that wasn't our experience. But I didn't want them in the car. So windows up. And we had just been cruising around on these uh, roads that were gravel, dirt. And, you know, it was a a beautiful green valley. Uh, We were seeing incredible scenery. And we talked about the sheep that we Mm -hmm. saw. And uh, all of a sudden, here they are. And so I'm just really glad that we knew that was happening. Otherwise, we might have thought, is this some biblical plague that we're driving into? (laughs) I wouldn't have known what to think. And they were all moving in the same direction, too. That was odd. That was so odd. I I remember telling myself, well, I told you this. I said, okay, if they bite, fly, or start jumping all over me, I said, what are we going to do? I want to walk around the ghost town. Are they going to be up there? I said, so those were my three things that I was a little bit worried about. Turned out to be, they were completely harmless. They, in fact, avoided us pretty much. We walked among the Mormon crickets the whole day, whether it was by the water, on the road, or in the mountains. We were, they were surrounding us and... They and they were all over the buildings and all over the old mining equipment, but they did no harm. Yeah, in fact, we had a picnic lunch right on the shore of the of the river with them. Watching, yeah, with them, they just went around us, and we just <laughs> were that comfortable with them at that point. It was uh, wonderful. They were going into the river, and there were just hundreds of them floating downstream. They looked like pieces of wood. And then we got to see some of them attempt to rescue themselves off the rocks, and if they didn't make it, they fell in, and off they went. <laughs> oh. Sometimes there were two to three on top of each other, but that's another story. But, so. <laughs> and with all that said, you know, um, I wasn't sure when we were first told about them, do I want to be up there with the Mormon crickets? And I know they destroy crops. I know they're not, I know they're very difficult to live with, but it was just a highlight for me of my I had trip. never seen anything like that. I hadn't either, so. So yeah, there's that. Had to share that with you. So Mormon crickets aside, I want to share with you just what this this whole trip meant to me. Um, you know, I I think this is the first time I've really held a diary in my hands and gone to the town, the ghost town where this person actually lived. And so I had this built-up excitement inside of me. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know, you know, was it going to be on the side of the road right by the highway? So the journey of 20 miles getting there on these gravel roads and then these one-lane dirt roads sometimes and potholes and this beautiful mountain scenery. And and then we had the, um, uh, what she called the GPS. We had the GPS going. So every once in a while, she would go, you have three miles to go. And the signs getting to Delamar, they were just like old. There weren't many. Not a lot. No, little old wooden signs, you know, mm-hmm. Delamar this way or you're on this highway. And so the buildup, um, and I, again, I had no idea what I was going to see, where those are going to be one building, whether they're going to be a lot of buildings. So when she, when the voice over the GPS said, you have, you know, one mile to go, you're within 700 feet. Well, that last 200 feet or so, you had to turn, go around this bend. And as soon as we went around the bend, and it says arrived, there was this old fallen down wooden structure, this house. I go, there it is. 
and my heart just leapt. And I have tears now because to actually walk the streets, well, they were streets then, it's a dirt road now, to see the buildings and to hold Henry's diary in my hand, to know that that diary was there at one point, and now I'm the caretaker of it. And to see the old buildings, you know, this was a thriving, thriving, precious town that so many children grew up in. And now there are just, you know, a few, few small, torn down, broken buildings and the mill across the river is all collapsed. To know that it was once there and now it's not, it just, um, it hit me hard, as you can tell. It mm. really hit me hard. That was a neat moment. I remember thinking it too, that, wow, this book, this journal was here. Yeah. Right here. Right here. Yeah. It was, it's surreal. It yeah. really is surreal. And maybe this is a good time to also say that, you know, our main character here, Henry Stewart, we're going to be telling you more about him because he was a character. He was a very interesting man. His story doesn't stop here with the, with the diary. It went on. And to, we can't even get into it right now because he was such an interesting guy. And we're going to put that in part two so that we can focus more on this area and what we experienced. And we also have a special guest in part two. So stay tuned for that one coming yeah. up. But I'll just throw that in there right now. Yeah, I like that because it is really a fascinating thing to read someone's diary, but even more fascinating to research and read about their life and what they've done in their life. And Henry did not disappoint at all. And you know, the other thing I would say is, as I was walking through those forested roads and, you know, seeing some of the buildings and going in some of the buildings, and, and it was quiet other than the birds and the stream and stuff, I thought, I wish I had my children and my grandchildren here. I wish you had your children and your grandchildren here because to, I mean, if you could possibly anybody go up and see this ghost town, it it does take a lot to get there. And then there's the one next to it, Silver City, it is an incredible experience to really witness history as a live thing. It, it was, it truly came alive for me and it's a great experience to share with your children. So now I'll just play the second little clip that we recorded. We were right on the banks of Jordan Creek most of the time as the road follows it all the way to Silver City. Well, we're walking along the road where the town was. There isn't a lot of evidence. We just went into a, a structure, but there's not a lot of evidence that there was a town here. But there's photographs and there sure was. Yep. And one of the houses or structures that we went into... Uh, I'll try to post one of those pictures. It had four or five layers of wallpaper that you could see. So you could see how through time they would put just different wallpaper on the walls. And I thought that was um, wonderful. But that it was a great structure. And now we're coming up upon uh, mining equipment. That's what it looks like. Piece that they discarded. Mm -hmm. Well, we've seen D. Lamar and we're heading out. We took a nice long walk through town, down the road. 
And we're heading to Silver City right now. So before we talk about Silver City, we will read a couple of excerpts from Henry's journal because we know he did live in De La Mar. And so uh, this is from 1911, June 17th, heavy thunderstorms at 3 a.m., clear moon and fine day, Jordan Creek still in our trail, just a little snow all gone from mine summit, made a saddle blanket for Burkett, loaded Myers wagon. And here's the June 19th one, warm and hazy in the a.m., thunderstorm at 3 p.m. with light rain. Wild flax and leather leaf daisies in bloom. 17 or 13 year locusts are out. And then the next one, we believe, could have been the entry that he made when they decided to leave Delamar. I think so. So he writes, this is July 15th, cool morn, hot all noon, fine day with summer clouds. A few drops of rain fell at 9 a.m. We left Delamar at 6.50 and reached Walter's Ferry at 8.30 p.m. He talked in here about Mars, Brooks Comet, the Big Dipper, Venus, and Saturn. We noticed that most of his entries had to deal with weather observations and nature sightings. And that's going to really play into his life later on. And, um, well, actually, his life all around, because even though those entries seem simple, it really tells a lot about the kind of man he was. Yeah, another interesting thing was when he saw something that was alive, a plant or an animal, he changed his writing from a cursive style to a more of a calligraphy style throughout the journal. And so whenever we were looking through it and you spotted one, it was going to be about something in nature. Yes, and I'll post some of those pictures of uh, his writing. And when he does that, I'll post some of those pictures on my website at sallysdiaries.com. So Henry had two sons, and they were Herschel and Howard. And the letters that came with this diary were written like from 1910 into the 1930s. But most of them were, you know, like 1910 to 1916. And they were actually letters addressed to Herschel. The young women were used to be school friends of Herschel's and they still lived up in De La Mar. And I thought so fitting to read a couple excerpts during uh, the time that it was starting, the mines were starting to go, and the town was slowly becoming abandoned. And Herschel was living with his father in Nampa, we believe, at this time, when those letters, they were addressed. Yes, to, yes, okay. correct. They were living in Nampa. And the letter is from Alice McDonald, and she was in De La Mar, and it's dated August 21st, 1913. And it's quite a long letter, so I'm just going to read um, the excerpts. D. Lamar is pretty quiet now. So many people have left. The mine has not closed down yet. They are waiting for a Mr. Orford to come back from London. We expect to be here for a little while yet. We all spent the 4th of July in Jordan Valley and had a glorious time. Amy is going to teach in the Valley this year. We are going to have a celebration here on Labor Day. You had better come over and see it, for D. Lamar is not going to last much longer. And then again, she writes on January 14th, 1916, so that's three years later. But wherever we are, every twice in a while, we talk about our little kid days in D. Lamar, and they seem to be so funny now. 
maybe you remember that I kept a diary that last year, and it's the funniest thing. And do you remember how I used to play for singing? And all I knew was lightly row, and there's music in the air. I feel as old as I can be when I think of that long ago. While at home on Christmas, I was pleasantly surprised to visit Alice and Don McDonald. It was the first time I'd seen them for over two years. Last summer, a crowd of us went down to De La Mar in a big wagon. And all of the deserted have become begone-looking places. It's the limit. You knew they moved the new schoolhouse to Cow Creek. The old house is there, but badly cracked, sort of a ragged beggar, sunning. Though I guess it isn't much sun in this weather. Silver is almost as desolate as De Lamar. And then there is one last entry, February 2nd, 1916. I haven't seen much snow since the winters I spent in De Lamar. My, but didn't we have fun in the snow there? Do you remember the rides on the bobs and then in the summer we'd played stick where we'd hold up the mine? So as you can see by those letters that De Lamar from around 1913 on was was failing and people were moving out of town. There was no mining being done. We did find out that there was a running post office, but just a, it just ran in the summer from 1917 to 1930. So that was interesting. So that was our time in De Lamar. And then the next trip was six miles, about six miles from De Lamar. And that was the town of Silver City. That was... A fun arrival for me <laughs> to drive in there. Uh, you had to kind of sit back and wait. It was a single lane road to get into the town. You kind of crested over this little hill. And then there it was. And we had just come, remember, from D. Lamar, which was maybe three buildings. Trees all grown up. Things, you know, we were thinking, this is a ghost town. You know, nobody's here. And then just to turn the corner and see Silver City, which... Oh my gosh, you have to go, people. You got to go. It's just amazing. It really is neat. It's like going back in time. And so that was uh, that was fun. We, we pulled in and parked. And of course, we have the book, uh, The Images of America, Owyhee County. And so we were referring to the book and looking for something similar, if, see how it looks now. And some of the buildings had been restored. Uh, they're keeping them up. They're painting them. Uh, many people live there during the summer months. In the winter, it's very difficult to get there, and they have a caretaker that watches over the town in the the winter. And in fact, didn't we get very lucky as far as the road opening? We yeah, we had no idea that the road had only been open for a week. For a week, so that town becomes you know no they leave that town you know in the winter time you know probably September October, and nobody's up there other than the caretaker until they open the road on Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, some people can get up there by snowmobile. Mm -hmm. But again, another thing that impressed me, so we learned about the stage lines. And the longest running stage line in the West was to Silver City. The only way to get there was by horse and buggy. And and these roads were not exactly, they were treacherous in times. Very treacherous. And for a stage, I mean... Even, can you imagine your husband saying, there's mining up in this town called Silver City in Idaho, put all your belongings on a wagon, and we're heading up into the mountains. I mean, this is way up in the mountains. Yeah, it was uh, it was challenging to get there in our vehicle, and I was just picturing going by horse or even walking, because we yeah. read about people that walked from there to Nampa. So that was a journey. It was. 
But it was worth it for us. Oh, it was great. It was great. And the next time we do it, uh, so if you're ever thinking about going up there, uh, we have a four-wheel drive vehicle, and it did fine. uh, But they also rent those ATVs Mm -hmm. and stuff in Murphy, and that would be a fun trip. But most of the people up in Silver City were driving those. They were. And, you know, it's a great place for a destination because they do have, uh, things are open. I mean, there's the old Idaho hotel there, which is, you walk in, I mean, it's you walk inside that hotel and you're going back in time because the furniture, the walls, everything is like it was back then. Yeah, they have the, the lobby is kind of set up like a little museum, but mm-hmm. people can stay there overnight. It's said to be haunted. Said to be haunted. Yeah, people yes. have written of their experiences, mm-hmm. but they have an operating restaurant and a bar, and, and so we uh, got ourselves a nice drink that we could actually carry around outside. There was no problem with that, legal. And I remember that we first pulled up, you could see, it says, Welcome to Silver City. The, the cemetery is up on the hill. There's the church that you can see. There's several little houses spotted along the hills, but we first pulled up and we got out and the very first building that I went into that you and I walked up onto the porch was closed and it used to be the old uh, general store I believe and I looked in the window was that the drugstore the drugstore yeah yes true the drugstore and as you look in the window oh my goodness it's just almost so I wish I would have stayed there and looked in that window for an hour but wooden floors beautiful wooden counters on both sides you know the cook stove in the center, but all the shelves still had the glass bottles, the drug bottles, and the goods that you can buy. And then there was the counters. Some had, you know, glass cabinets and stuff. It was just, I was going, oh my gosh, is this what we're going to experience? And then the day went on. It was, it's so worth going up there. It really was an enjoyable trip. And Mm -hmm. we met a really nice lady. So why don't you tell them about who we met up there. Yes, we met a woman. Her name is Roberta Whitmore. And she asked, uh, she says, but it's Birdie. And it was in a little museum, the... Um, it's kind of like the little firehouse museum Firehouse kind of thing. museum, yes. Well, they, they sold things to raise money for the fire rescue effort. Yes, yes. She, we thought, well, she might know a little bit about Silver City, but also D. Lamar. And she, oh my gosh, she was incredibly helpful. I knew all the stories. And she said, even the town that the first house that you come to in D. Lamar was in Tough Town, that site. And you can imagine what that part of town was like. So she said, she just knew a lot of the places that we had already visited. Bertie has written a book, and it's a poetry book. And I purchased one off of Amazon, and it's called Whispers in the Wind. And little did I know that the poem, one of the poems she wrote about coming around that very bend that I told you first about how it just really got to me when we first entered De Lamar was, um, I didn't realize how this poem would get to me so much, but I want to share that poem with you now. This poem is called Just Around the Bend, and on the opposite side, there's a picture of that very bend that we um, came around when we first came to De Lamar. There's a road that winds through the mountains, the road that leads to my old home, and I can't wait to get there and never more roam. The road winds on, and I see in my mind's eye the town just around the bend that sits waiting patiently for me like an old familiar friend. 
The town hasn't changed much, they say. Stores and houses line both sides of the road. The mill across the creek still crushes its ore, or at least that's what I've been told. The road winds through the mountains, the road that leads to home, and when I finally get there, I'll no longer roam. Then as I round the last turn, I come to a sudden stop. The town I knew isn't there anymore, and I almost feel my heart drop. Where did you go? I cry. Have I really been gone so long? I was told you'd still be here. How could they have been so wrong? Then I wake, and sadly I remember my pleasant dream at an end. In my memory, home will always be there, up in the mountains, just around the bend. Yeah, that's... uh well, and it was a pleasure. That got me. <laughs> and Bertie, if you're listening, it was really a pleasure meeting and talking with you. Yes, and thank you for sharing this incredible poem and being a part of our journey. Well, again, the main subject of this journey was Henry Stewart and is Henry Stewart, and we really came to know a bit about him. Now, the diary we think was mostly when he was living in Napa, but he didn't stay there. He ended up going somewhere else, and that's where things really take a turn, and he made an impression on a lot of people. Part of his legacy is still with us to this day. And again, part two, we're going to focus more on him, and we have a special guest, and we're hoping that you'll tune in and hear more about Henry Stewart and learn some neat stuff. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks again. For more information about Sally and her diaries, go to sallysdiaries.com. 